0: James is uh, going from a section where he's been telling us to do the things we talk about and to talk about the things that we want to do and then to start to do them. That's what we talked about last week, our words. And I should just come out with it and let you know that we talked about using your words to build people up. And then on Monday, I used my words to hurt somebody horribly and had to backpedal and, and apologize in the moment and felt horrified by what came out of my mouth and how fast it came out of my mouth. And so I am the chief sinner among all of us, but all of this stuff, it could be, when James is preaching about all this stuff, or when he's kind of talking to the church and he's kind of communicating this to us, we could be beating ourselves up along the way, thinking I'm a terrible Christian, I'm not doing this right, this feels like my life is so far away from where James is. And I think the key thing that we see in James's writing is this byline, this through line of humility. Right, understanding when you mess up, understanding when you hurt somebody else, understanding when you do the wrong thing, and stepping back and having the humility to come again under God's uh, lordship, His leadership in your life, and to ask for forgiveness. I found myself doing that Monday morning after I preached about using your words to build people up, and so you are not alone. If you're struggling with this and you're thinking like I heard a sermon on on using my words to build people up, and then I screamed at my kids the next day or that afternoon or literally before we left church, like. You're not alone. This is something that we're all struggling with. It's not easy. What James is telling us to do is not easy, but it is worth it. And today he's going to kind of move us into the direction of understanding wisdom, and he's going to give us two pictures of what wisdom looks like. He's going to give us the picture of a wisdom that comes from around us or from within us, and a picture that comes down from heaven to us. There's two different types of wisdom that he's going to bring out. And he says one wisdom, if we build our life on it, will be the kind of thing that will drive us into the right direction have us living righteously, okay? And one other wisdom is going to be the kind of wisdom that's always going to leave us feeling empty, always going to make us feel like nothing is adding up, it's not working, uh, it's not something that's satisfying. Okay, so he starts with verse one, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And so he says, just to start, he says there's actually, who is wise and understanding among you. He makes a distinction between wise and understanding. Now, everything he's talked about so far in this book has been about not just knowing the truth, but actually doing it, living it out, speaking it. Same thing goes here for wisdom. It's not enough to just know, okay? I don't know how many of you grew up in a church. I mean, my experience when I started to go into church, I was 13 years old. I quickly learned the right thing to say. I quickly learned the right way to get out of a conversation and to keep everything at the surface level Right? I would just say, Jesus, make him my personal Lord and Savior, uh, the Bible. I, I had the quick answers for all the questions that I got asked at youth group. Anyone else have that like mechanism to protect yourself in a moment where you don't actually want to let anyone in? Yeah, well, that's understanding. You might necessarily know the truth, but you may not be actually living the truth. So he says, we're looking for wisdom and understanding together. We want you to understand what's going on and be wise now, a wise person is not somebody who just knows something and doesn't do it. Like, he deals with that earlier in the, in the book. Like It's not enough to just know the truth. It, you actually have to live the truth out. And so he says, who is wise and understanding? Not just wise, both wise and understanding. Um, and, and I think sometimes I run into people, I feel like they understand really well, but they haven't quite understood wisdom yet. They haven't quite gotten to the place of wisdom. They might have the right answers. They might be... Uh, starting to figure out the right way to talk about things, but they haven't gotten to the place of actually living it out. Wisdom has an element of application. And biblical wisdom is knowing and doing. And James says the key thing about biblical wisdom in this passage is in verse 17. He says it comes from above. It comes from above. It's not around us or in us. It comes from above. And so I'm going to take you on a tour of some wisdom literature here. Most of the time when we preach, I'm trying to stay in the passage and explain to you what the passage says to us. But on the topic of wisdom, I'm going to go to a couple places in the Old Testament where we find wisdom literature. And I want to show you what biblical wisdom looks like, okay? So you're going to have to bear with me. If you're following along in your Bible, you might have a hard time jumping around, so we'll put it on screen for you. Um, And by the way, if you need a Bible, we always have a Bible available in our prayer station. We have a whole bunch of them. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands. Just stop off there. Say hi to somebody. Tell me you want a Bible. We will put one in your hands. Uh, you know, there's no, there's, you don't have to do anything. We'll just give it to you. It'd be great. So I'm going to move to Job chapter 28, verses 12 to 15. And there's a section of the Old Testament that we look at as wisdom literature. And Job is one of those places. And it says, this is what Job says. He says, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell No mortal comprehends its worth. It cannot be found in the land of living. The deep says it is not in me. The sea says it is not in me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed out in silver. So Job, he actually says at the end of, kind of, or in the middle of kind of his uh, process and what was going on in his life, he stepped back and said, where does wisdom come from? It's not from around me. I can't find it in the ocean. I can't find it in the mountains. I can't find it in the people around me. I can't find it anywhere on this earth. I can't buy it. It's not something that I can manufacture, get from someone else, or find even in nature, right? He says, wisdom's not here. It's not here. It's not on this earth, and it's not in these relationships that I have, and it's not, it's not here. Okay, wisdom is something that comes from, from God. Look what he look what he says. He goes on. He says, Where, where does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden. From the eyes of every living thing, it is concealed even from the birds in the sky. Death and destruction say only a rumor of it has reached our eyes. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under heaven. Job says God understands the whole picture, and his wisdom is imparted to us from on high, not from around us. We don't get it from around us he says every single thing that we see in this world even death even destruction even good things even bad things we don't find wisdom from those places we find wisdom from only god he says when he established the force of the wind and measured out waters when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm then he looked at wisdom and appraised it and he confirmed it and tested it and he said to the human race the fear of the lord that is wisdom and to shun evil is understanding so Job says, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And you're like, I, I, I'm not supposed to fear God? What does that even mean? I don't want to be afraid of God. Well, when Job says it, when we use it in the, in the context of the Old Testament, we say to fear God, it means to have a reverence for God. So in order to put God in his place and to put me in my place. okay. So to say, here's where God goes and here's where I go. It's putting yourself in. In a place, a position of humility, and putting God in a place of reverence and honor. To fear Him is the beginning of wisdom. And He says to shun evil is understanding. So there's a connection between righteousness and wisdom. So when we first put God in His place, when we begin to fear Him and come under His lordship, and when we begin to live correctly and shun evil and take on righteous living, then we start to have wisdom in our lives. These two things go together. A lot of times it's like, okay, Great, I can put God in his place and I can put myself in that place of humility but then I walk out of the room and I don't actually do anything about the wisdom that I receive from God. That's not, well, that's not biblical wisdom. These two things go together. Righteousness and the fear of God are two things that go together. And I, it, This makes sense, I think, when we think about it but it's hard to apply because I think what happens is we say, yes, I fear the Lord. I want to put him in his position. I want to put myself in the right position. I want to be here. I want him to be here. And then we hit a difficult place where we have to actually live it out. And we live it out in some areas, and we don't live it out in other areas. We say like, okay, well, you can have my Sunday mornings. I'm glad to give that that up, and I'll put God in his place on my Sunday mornings. But when I go to work on Monday, I'm not necessarily sure that I want to come under the lordship of Jesus in that place. I'm not sure I want to live righteously there or when I'm in my family or how I communicate to people or the way that I do my finances or the way that I love other people or the way that I you know, interact. Like There's places in our lives that we kind of hold away from God's leadership and we hold it and we don't fear the Lord in that area. We say, I got my finances, we're good. Right? I got my, my work life, we're good. I got these relationships, I'm good. I'm not going to bring those things under God's lordship and leadership. I'm not going to fear him in these places. I got this. When we start doing that, we start using the wisdom that comes from within or the wisdom that we see in the world. And we start missing the wisdom that God wants to give us and lead us in. So these two things go together. First it's to fear the Lord and fear him in every single area of our life. And then it's to act righteously, to shun evil as how Job puts it. Wisdom is much more um, comes much more out of our relationship with Jesus than anything else, right? 1 Corinthians says this about Christ. He says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Uh, basically says, Jesus is the wisdom that we are looking for. So in other words, we have this relationship with wisdom. We put ourselves underneath Jesus' rule and his lordship, And we begin to live the way that he's called us to live. And that's when we start to live wisdom out and to receive it and to understand it. And that's what James is sort of getting at here. He's he's saying, look, it's not just enough to understand. You have to be wise and understand. You've got to put yourself under Christ. You have to fear the Lord and then begin to live this thing out. Proverbs 9, verse 10, which is from wisdom literature, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy one is understanding. Right? We see this theme. You know, Solomon is one of my favorite characters in scripture. I think he's absolutely fascinating. If you read the entire story of Solomon, you realize he he kind of was uh, you know, born into this really weird family situation and had all this uh, leadership placed upon him. But there's this time in his life when he's early on in his relationship with God where God comes to him essentially and says, you can, you can ask me for one thing and I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. And the thing that he asks for is wisdom. He becomes the wisest person that has ever lived. In fact, most of the wisdom literature we have in the Old Testament was written by or gathered by Solomon and put together so that we would have it even today. Right? So Solomon has this incredible... Uh, lifestyle growing up and he knows he's going to be the king and he asks God for wisdom and he starts doing everything right and then it says he kind of breaks from that and he spends the time looking at what wisdom is available in the world. The book of Ecclesiastes is essentially him looking at what's available out there in the world. So Solomon takes all of his wealth all of his wisdom, everything that he has and he goes on a quest to figure out what the world has to offer. Okay, now I want you to just think about this for a second. Solomon, through like multiple week long parties, had more wives than anyone like ever. I mean, I'm, I mean, maybe there's somebody who could challenge him on that one. I doubt it, right? He had more money than anyone who existed. He was wiser than anyone in the world. He was the most famous person in the world at that time. Other kingdoms all knew about him and kind of honored him as an amazing king. He was in the driver's seat, and so when he says he went on a quest to find wisdom. He tried everything available in the world to the furthest degree possible. And then he came back and told us what it was like. If you decided to try this, this is like, you know, Bill Gates saying, I'm going to try to be the richest person in the world. This is like Hugh Hefner. This is like, um, you know, uh, all this worldly wisdom. It's essentially all this stuff. He tried every single thing, all right? Here's what he says about wisdom, Okay. Take a look, verses 1, 13, and 14 in Ecclesiastes said, I applied my mind to study and to explore wisdom that is all done under the heavens. So he says, I looked at everything below heaven, everything on the earth, everything around me that possibly could bring wisdom into my life, that could possibly satisfy me, and I tried it to the furthest degree possible. He says, what a heavy burden that was laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He says, I tried everything, and I tried it. In a way that you could never even try it. So go ahead, give it a shot. You find wisdom around you, go ahead and try it. Solomon's saying, I did that. I went for that. I tried that. And guess what? It was all meaningless. He spends the whole book basically telling you this is meaningless and that is meaningless and this isn't worth anything and that isn't worth anything. It's a great book. You should totally go read it. It's super encouraging. Again, this is one of those things you should probably put on a pillow that sits in your living room, right? It's all meaningless. He gets to the end of the book, and this is what he says. He sums it all up in one verse. He says, now all that has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. I tried it all. I tried women. I tried, you know, sex. I tried money. I tried power. I tried wisdom. I tried the the fame that goes along with being the most famous person in the world. I tried every single thing. Here's what I can tell you. I'm reporting back to you. He says, fear God. There it is again. Fear God. It's all throughout. The wisdom literature, fear God, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's where it comes from. That's where James is starting from. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and live righteously. Fear God and do the thing that you learned. Bring yourself under his lordship and actually live the way that he's called you to live. Just step back and think about how crazy that looks in our world. When you fear God, man, you do your finances differently, you lead your family differently, your relationships look ridiculously different than the world standards. Right? The things that you do, the things that you say, the way that you operate puts you at odds with the culture around you. You want to live by the wisdom that you find around you? Guess what? Everybody's trying that. And what is it leading to? If people are getting married, they're getting divorced. If families are together for a while, they're broken by the end. If people are trying to be greedy and live up to this, you know they, they fall, and we watch them fall, and we celebrate, you know, all these celebrities. Is that a thing that's adding up to anything? I mean, the, the wisdom that's around us in the world leads to nothing. It's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. It's the conclusion of the matter is that it's worthless. Fearing God and keeping His commandments is the thing that brings us the life that we want. He says, "This is the duty of all mankind." I mean, Solomon knows the answer. He's tried every part of it. And he says the only thing that matters is fearing God and keeping his commandments. And so we fear the Lord and we bring everything under his wisdom and it leads us to a way of living counter-culturally. We are, uh, the wisdom that comes from him is something that comes to us in our Humility. We find it when we put ourselves in the position that God wants us to be in, where we understand that He is God and that we are flawed human beings who are just begging for Him to give us that wisdom and to lead us in our life. It's not a confidence in yourself. And I want you to understand, it's born out of humility. So I think humility is often misunderstood. A lot of times we think about humility and we think that's a quiet, meek person, that's someone who's reserved, that's not somebody who's a, a leader or who's strong. And I want you to understand that the humility that we're talking about here is not a strength in yourself. It's a strength in understanding that you serve God and he's where your wisdom comes from. That you don't necessarily need to be quiet, you don't necessarily need to be uh, you know, a, a wallflower to have humility, but in fact we need to find ourselves in God's wisdom and then, in that humility, we can still be strong because we know who's giving it to us. I think we see this on display in a world that has a, um, has a really huge problem with self. I mean, like, we have words for this, right? Like, right, what's that? Yeah, selfie, right? We read books, they are what? Self-help, yeah. I mean, like, Oprah, Marie Kondo, something, I don't know, who's this? Is somebody online that I'm supposed to throw everything away or something? Uh, We find spiritual gurus around us that tell us to look inside ourselves, to rediscover ourselves, to find ourselves. Look, you want it really bad, watch any kid's programming. Any, any single kid's programming, the end of the, the, the cartoon or the end of the show is essentially about finding yourself in yourself, understanding yourself, and believing in yourself, and it's all about you, and it's all about yourself. This is the, the, the culture around us that's selling us stuff, is telling you, hey, you, you go be you. You go do you. Right? You can find the wisdom you need within yourself. You just need to unlock it. It's in there. You just got to find it. Right? I think a lot of us then we we seek out you know counseling or we look to other forms of and i look- like, I think counseling is amazing. I think a lot of us should be in counseling. We should probably we're working it. But like let's ask the question: where's this going? Am I unlocking something in myself or am I trying to be more like Jesus? Because we're we're called to live in humility and to, to take on the wisdom that comes from God and to start to learn and live the way that He's called us to live. It's not about the disease of self that we see in our, our culture, it's about us you know, dying to ourselves. It's about us being selfless. It's about us putting ourself aside, not finding ourselves. not believing in ourselves. not, you know, defining ourselves, right? Right, like I, I, I identify as something, this, that, the other thing. I find myself in this, that, or the other thing. Like, find yourself in Jesus. Identify as a Christ follower. That's what we're called to do. Right? Before everything else, before everything else, find yourself in Christ. Put yourself aside. Come under the wisdom that comes from God in humility. Get rid of selfish ambition and envy that comes along with the w- world's wisdom and begin to lean on the wisdom that comes from God. He goes on, he says, but if, but if you harbor bitter envy and Selfish ambition in your hearts. Don't boast about it or deny the truth. He's like, look, how do we get to a place in our world where selfish ambition and bitter envy are things that we celebrate in our world? Right? He's basically saying the, the confidence in yourself leads to a denial of the truth. And I mean, just just look around the world that we live in. Like, it's, you know, I was listening to something on the radio. They were talking about, um, political candidates, I'm not going to talk about politics, I know I've made that mistake before, I'm trying not to, I'm doing my, my best, but they were talking about who had more social media interactions, right? who, who was more popular, who had more, more clout, you know, and, and they were saying, like, this person is really big on Instagram, this person is really big on Facebook, and this, this person has a really super awesome email distribution list, I don't know, this is probably the difference between you know, the generations or whatever. Uh, confidence in yourself is a denial of the truth, is what he says. A bitter envy and selfish ambition is a denial of the truth. It's not something we should boast about. It's not something that we should be proud about. He says, if we find ourselves in a place where we have a platform to talk to other people, that we should talk about Jesus. right? Like, If we get a chance to talk to people and have influence, the person that we should talk about is, is Jesus. That's who we found ourselves in. That's the truth that we've been looking for. That's where the wisdom comes from. He's saying, don't get it mixed up. Don't get it mixed up. So He says, be very careful. I'm sorry, this is actually Ephesians 5. I love this. This is what Paul has to write about this topic. He says, be very careful in how you live. Not as unwise. Not wrapped up in yourself. Not wrapped up in the world's wisdom. Not wrapped up in the the wisdom that you find in your relationships or or what you find on this earth, but, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. Look, Jesus came and showed us what it looks like to live this relationship out with God so that we could have the fullest possible life. Not, not a worldly version of it. Not, a, not a, a, a half measure. Jesus came so we could have the fullest possible life, and that starts with fearing God and understanding His Wisdom. How many of us are living as unwise, and we are squandering the life that we have here because we aren't ourselves under the lordship of Christ and allowing Him to lead us to places that we never thought we could go, places we never saw on our own, and, and to places that He has created for us? James continues, says such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. There's another one for your pillow or t- T-shirt mug a greeting card like hey happy birthday such wisdom does not come down from heaven but it's earthly and spiritual demonic right james doesn't pull his punches he pretty much puts it out there he says for where you where you have evil envy and selfish ambition there you will find disorder and you will find every evil practice." He says, the sin in our lives comes out of the the selfishness that we have like sin is driven by our own selfishness that's where it comes from And the minute that we put ourselves aside and we come under the lordship of Jesus, we start to fear God, put him in his place, put ourselves in our place, and receive his wisdom and start living it, that's where we start to get untangled and we start to find order, and that's where we start to find righteousness. He continues, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, so he's comparing these two, right? The wisdom and the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Does that sound like somebody? You see, the wisdom that you're looking for that comes from God is made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. You want to learn how to live a wise life? Look at the lifestyle of Jesus and start to live that thing out in your world and watch what it does. Puts you at odds with your culture. It starts to create all kinds of problems for you. But these are amazing problems. They're great problems because they engages people and starts to draw them into a relationship with Jesus. And he says it looks like uh, first pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive, then full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. By the way, these are all things he's talked about already in this book in these first three chapters, right? He's saying when we live this wisdom out, we live out the life that Christ has for us and it looks an awful lot like Jesus' life. And I think we see around us a world that wants to continue to fight and spar. I mean, I feel like Twitter is just a place where you basically go on there and disagree with people and start fighting as much as possible. And honestly, I wonder, like, why these things even exist. Because we live in this combative world where people are wanting to, hey, this is my truth, this is your truth, and we're going to go at it. We're going to fight. And people see the exact same thing in different ways. Like, they'll see something that happens in the world, and one person will spin it, And it'll be like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Another person will spin it, and they'll say this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And they'll start fighting over it. It's like they live in this quarrelsome world, this world of intensity, and no one is living in a pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. Some of us, in order to apply this, we need to leave Facebook. We need to leave Twitter. We need to stop talking with people that we can't get along with. This is what it looks like. Here, how often does this happen? in the world that we see. This is not the thing that gets pushed to the top of the, uh, top of the mentions, right, or the thing that's trending. The thing that's trending is, is a fight, is, is people disagreeing with each other, right? Here's what, what Paul says in 2 Timothy. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish or stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. He's like, <laughs> you want wisdom from on high? Stop quarreling with people by the way, I just want to stop and say this. Some of you guys, are, maybe not some of you guys. I don't even want to put this on you. but Some people out there, they want to argue people into the kingdom of God. And I would submit no one has ever been argued into the kingdom of God ever in the history of the world. You can't win the argument and still have someone find Jesus at the end. It's not possible. You go, great, I made the greatest, you know, point ever in the world. And I just smashed their argument and now they're going to accept Jesus. That's, that's not how it works right? Wisdom from on high is, is a quarrel wisdom. It's a self wisdom. wisdom. It's us putting aside our own envy and pride, and it's us picking up Jesus's agenda, which is to be selfless and pure and considerate and peace-loving and submissive and full of mercy and having good fruit and being impartial and sincere. Paul goes on, he says, because they produce quarrels, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome But must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Whoa. Like, kind to everyone. Man, not just the people in your tribe, not just the people who agree with you, not just the people who share your political beliefs or your religious beliefs or your social beliefs, like, everybody. Able to teach right able to have a conversation with somebody able to in that moment find humility and to turn someone towards christ not to try to win but to be able to teach not resentful of the other person's viewpoint by the way you might say i'm not being resentful in this conversation but people can feel it if you are resentful is something that just kind of pours out of you even if your words are right they still know you're resentful Right, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. They will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Paul says there is an entire world out there lost in an identity that they have formed through worldly wisdom, that they have put their lives into things that will not bring about the kind of life that God wants for them. These are people who their whole life is wrapped up in their... uh, an identity that's not in Christ, or an agenda that has something to do with worldly wisdom. And as Christians, we are called not to quarrel, not to fight, but to be able to gently instruct, to not be resentful, to love people. This is essentially like, like a thing we just don't see anywhere in this world. But this is what Christ is calling us to. He's like, you win with humility. You win because you actually love the person you're engaging you win because you bring God's wisdom into this, not your own selfish ambition. You lay yourself down. You pick up God's agenda. He ends this passage by telling us, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is like wisdom starts with the fear of God. Say, I am here and he is here. I'm going to bring myself in every area of my life under his wisdom, under his lordship. And then I'm going to start to live this thing out. And he says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We become righteous when we start to take on Jesus' agenda and live through his wisdom, not through our wisdom, not through the world's wisdom, not through what we see in ourselves or around us, but what we see in God. I know that that's... (laughs) an easy thing to say, and we could understand that truth. But to actually live it out would be a thing that we could only do through the Holy Spirit. Like a lot of these sermons, I feel like you could try to go home and try this out. You're like, I'm going to go home this week and I'm not going to argue with anybody on Facebook. That's how I'm going to apply this this week. Good luck. You're going to scroll for two minutes and then you're going to fire off some stupid thing that you wish you could get back. The Holy Spirit is the thing that allows us to do this. Right? And and I feel like sometimes we 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 find ourselves in a church and we think this is really wise, we should try this and I'm gonna try harder, I'm gonna do this. Maybe we come up with a five-point plan, maybe you're a really super organized person, and you got like a I'm gonna do this and this and this and this and this. Religion is not the answer either. Your relationship with Jesus starts with you submitting your will to him and receiving him as your savior. Essentially, we are the thief on the cross. and We don't need any more wisdom. We need saving. We need a Savior who, who gives Himself for us, who starts a relationship with us, who allows us to, to win over in our sin because we have submitted ourselves to Him. And He gives us the Holy Spirit so on a daily basis when we find ourselves struggling with one thing or the other, we can rely on the wisdom that comes from God. And I want you to know if you just go home and try harder or you just go home and you put an action plan together about reading wisdom literature, you, you won't succeed. You will only succeed if you develop your relationship with Christ to a place where you are living on a daily basis, relying on His Holy Spirit. It starts with accepting Him, having a relationship with Him. And then it's a process that literally takes you your whole life. You start off terrible at it. Just to be honest with you, and you get slowly become more mature in your faith, and you slowly start to learn what it means to follow Jesus, and you slowly start to see the wind, the winds that come with knowing Christ. You slowly start to see your life change, and before long, you realize I'm submitted to Christ, and now my life looks like what God wants it to look like. It's the fullest possible version of life on this planet. It, I have. You know, I have a a purpose because now I know who I am in Jesus. I found the gifts that he's given me and I put them to to practice because of who I am in Christ. I have community of people who are also on the journey, walking alongside me, encouraging me to continue to live for Christ because I'm now part of his congregation. This is what it looks like. I don't want you to walk out here thinking like, try harder. That should never be the end of the sermon Trying harder doesn't doesn't get us where we need to be. Our relationship with Christ and His Holy Spirit is what gets us where we need to be. And so I just want to say like if, if you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, what are you waiting for? You, you, you want the life that's based on worldly wisdom that leads to, to nothing? Or do you want this life that Christ is offering you that's full and beautiful and has purpose and meaning? It makes a difference in the lives of people. What would that look like? Who would that change in your world? What would happen if all of us started living like that? Our world would not be the same. Our town would not be the same. Our workplaces would not be the same. Our families would not be the same. Our friendships would not be the same. Our now new small groups, which are amazing, would not be the same. This church would not be the same if we start to live under the wisdom that comes from above. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the picture of wisdom in this world. You are wisdom fully lived out in human form. God, we reject the wisdom of the world around us the wisdom that we find in our culture, the wisdom that comes from anywhere on this earth, God, and we understand that you've called us to something different. God, would you help us to to be focused in on our relationship with you? Jesus, would you be more real to us every single day? Would you start to move us in a direction of living this life out one step at a time, moving towards who you've called us to be? And God, where we have conflict between the the wisdom of the world around us and the wisdom uh, that you bring into our lives, God, would you help us to find humility and come under your lordship and change our lives to reflect what you've called us to. God, would that produce a righteousness in us that changes this world? Would it produce a a peacefulness in our families? Would it produce... um, a gentleness in our relationships with with non-believers. God, would it allow us to to gently turn people towards the truth that, that we find in your word? And would you begin to just bring people into our lives, into our church, and help them to find that wisdom that we have already found through relationship. So God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for providing that wisdom to us. Thank you for calling us to something. Maybe it's not easy, but it's worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We'll close with a song.